I am going to go ahead and introduce, uh, man, Joe Gunther. Uh, Joe is a church planning resident at Redeemer Round Rock. So a few weeks back, we had Rick Bowers come in and Rick shared with us. And uh, Joe uh, is going to be planting in the Hutto area uh, next to Round Rock. And so, man, we are glad to have him. I'm glad to be a part of a church uh, that, man, that... Uh, is about uh, church planting, and it is about seeing, man, uh, man, church planters, uh, man, grown and poured into and then sent out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And so, Joe, if you want to come up, uh, I'm going to pray for him, and then I'll let him uh, share a little more about himself, and uh, yeah, he's going to lead us today. So, uh, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we are grateful uh, for your church. Uh, we're grateful that your church extends beyond uh, a building and beyond even Brenham, Texas, that it is... Uh, man, your kingdom, uh, man, around the world. Uh, and so right now we are grateful uh, that we uh, get to, um, yeah, hear your word proclaimed uh, by Joe this morning. And we, uh, man, thank you that he would take the time to come and share, uh, that he would bring his family. And Lord, we pray for them as they uh, are, uh, man, walking through uh, this season of getting ready to plant. And God, we pray for uh, people of peace and for uh, others to join them uh, in the work of planting in Hutto. And so, uh, God, we also ask that you're with us now, uh, that you would speak through him. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning, Center Church. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And as you're turning there, as uh, Kyle mentioned, I'm a church planning resident there at Redeemer Round Rock. And so I want to thank you guys personally, and you're thinking, what are you, what are you thanking us for? First off, for just allowing my family and I to, to be a part, to come and worship with you this morning, but also I want to thank you for your giving. Your generosity, your giving, is, is, it goes into a big pot called the Redeemer Network that really trains up and equips guys like me and, and like Kyle mentioned, Rick, who was here just a few weeks ago, and it, and it trains us up to, to send us out to multiply. So your kindness is felt. Your generosity has a, a kingdom impact on just more than Brenham. It's, it's stretching out across Texas and even further than that. So I do, I just, I want to thank you guys uh, on behalf of my class and the future church planners that will come through the network. I just, I just want to thank you guys and give you just a huge shout out. I also want to tell you guys, I'm a little offended, and I must confess this just before we get going. I, I heard there was a wedding last night, and I wasn't invited to the wedding, so I'm kind of bummed about it. I feel like everybody was invited to the wedding but us. But we're just going to have to make the best of this, right? So on that end, I'm going to ask if you would, guys, just stand with me as we read God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. Father God, we just love you. God, we thank you. And God, I'm just so humbled just for an opportunity to share your word. God, I thank you for Center Church, and God, I just pray that you just come and dwell with, uh, uh, dwell among us, God, speak to our hearts, God, convict us, uh, remove the scales off our eyes, God, so that we can be 
Um, God, that we can display your glory in this world. Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So before we dive into our text, I feel like it's super important for us to do kind of a quick overview, kind of back out, zoom out a 30,000 foot view, because I feel like we're right in the middle of a transition with our text this morning. And I want to give just a, a clear warning before we get going, because we need to be careful with our text in the beginning of this letter, because Paul is, is cursing anyone who preaches a gospel contrary to the one and true gospel. And it's too early in the week to start off being cursed. So as we, as we start moving towards chapter 6, I, I want to go ahead and just give a clear statement of faith for the record. Alright, so here it is. I'm going on the record. Center Church, salvation is in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now because I'm on the record, I must repeat this a second time, alright? Center Church, salvation is in grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. So as I stated earlier, we're in the middle of this transition, and I wanted to start with a statement of faith because we're about to see Paul really give us some really good practical application. He's been really working to deconstruct some heresy that has infiltrated the, the church of Galatia, and now he's working to restore this sound doctrine. One might think of maybe if your phone was glitching or a computer, you have a computer problem, or maybe your internet's kind of tweaking out a little bit, you always call into the service center. What do they tell you to do? Have you reset your modem? Have you reset your phone? You start there. So Paul, in essence, is kind of the service center who's saying, we, we need a reset, Church of Galatia. Our text is a call to action. Action because of our adoration and gratitude. And now this is why I want to be careful, because action is not grace. Grace is free. But here in the West, actions earn something. I believe Kyle mentioned last week talking about mowing his neighbor's yard for some more beef, Right? The guy just couldn't, he couldn't wrap his mind around that. He just wanted to do something just generous for him. Or maybe, maybe you can relate with me with kids. My kids do chores and they expect allowances. And I'm thinking, you, 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 you're earning my grace because my grace is sufficient for you. I'm allowing you to live in my house, to eat my food, and to wear those clothes. You see, grace is free. Thank God. So as we dive into our text this morning church rest easy because christ said it is finished now paul's mind is blown because he's found out these churches of galatia have quickly deserted god who called them in the grace of christ they've been turning to a different gospel not that there actually is one and and paul's quoted saying i'm not here to please man or or try to seek some sort of approval if this were so he says i wouldn't be a servant of christ he says, then he goes on to share some of his testimony and how he's, he's fought for the faith and, and how he's fought for the one and only true gospel, not backing down or, or yielding in submission, not even for a moment. And we get this glimpse of, of him zooming in when he, when he confronts Peter, where Peter was trying to please both Jew and Gentile at the church of Antioch. And so Paul, we see, he fights for the true gospel to be preserved for all churches. And because of his fighting in, in it, that we see in the letter here, that's had direct implications and affected us here today. He poses questions to the church like, who's bewitched you? Who has fooled you? Who's, who's casted a spell on you? He says, did you receive the spirit by works of the law? Or in other words, did you earn it? Or did you receive it by hearing by faith? Which brings us to Paul's thesis statement in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14, which, which I do want to read. 
He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then we begin to see Paul break down and and really kind of draw a stark contrast to explain this this law versus faith that ends in in chapter 3, verse 29, where he says, "It It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're rich, middle class, or, or poor. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, or Asian. It doesn't matter if you're educated or not. Or in this context, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. It doesn't matter who you are. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offsprings and then heirs according to the promise. And because you, Galatia, or because we, Center Church, are adopted sons and daughters, we're heirs to the throne. So why go back to our old ways? Like, let's, let's put ourselves in their shoes. No slave, once, once they're, they're freed, wants to go back into slavery. So why do you, Galatia, go back and live under the law that Christ has set you free from? You see, we too, church, we can learn something from this because as believers, we have been freed from the oppression of our sin that has really bound and broken us for so long. So why do we feel the need to go back into it. We've been broken. He gets uh, another example uh, of two women, Hagar and Sarah, a slave woman and a, and a free one, free woman. And he's telling them and he's, and he's telling us that because of we are believers in Jesus, we're, we're no longer um, children of the slave woman, but we belong to the, the free woman, uh, mother, mother Sarah. So I, I just, I want to just echo what Paul is stating in his letter. That if we are to be justified by the law, we have fallen back or we have fallen away from grace. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. It's only faith working through love. But church, who has bewitched you? Who's casted a spell? He says in Galatians 5, 7, he says, you were running so well. Who, who hindered you? Now, this, this is where our text begins to transi- transition into action, starting in, in chapter 5. But we must remember, it's not about what they did. Church, it's not about what we do. It's what's been done and accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul then demands that they walk by the Spirit. Be Spirit-led. And when you do this, or as you do this, you produce the fruit of the Spirit, is what you guys talked about last week, which is, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, um, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, uh, me, self-control, which is exactly who Jesus is. And against such things, there is no law. Which now brings us, it lands us to our text this morning in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Now remember, Paul's gonna, he's, he's about to begin to teach and instruct them and us with some practical applications of what walking in the fruit of the Spirit looks like or what it should look like. And so what I want to do is, as, as we look at our scripture, I actually want to back up one verse. I want to start in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25. So if you have your Bibles, just look with me. It says that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now think of that imagery. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. 6 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, living and walking by the Spirit produces good fruit. And because of the church's submission to the Judaizers and their law, these churches begin to produce bad fruit, unhealth. And Paul, like with Peter early in this letter where he calls out this sin, he's, he's, he's calling these guys to the carpet. This is really what we are supposed to do when we identify unhealth or transgression or, or sin. Because false gospel uh, or doctrine or, or anything like that, it's going to produce and promote unhealthiness. It's going to pro- produce and promote selfishness and strife, which are, which are uh, spirits of the flesh. These things go completely against what the second greatest command is, which is also the law of Christ, which is love your neighbor as yourself. You see, loving your neighbor is working to restore a brother or a sister. Now, remember, the transgression here, it's clear. The sin is clear. It's a false gospel. But notice it says any transgression, which means really any sin. Loving your neighbor is working to restore a brother or sister who has fallen into any sin with love, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, also the, known as the fruits of the spirits. Because if the tides were turned, we would hope that somebody would do that for us. We would hope that those who were spiritual would do that for us, or maybe even someone we loved, such as a, a spouse or, or a child or, or maybe a friend, a co-worker. You know, I feel like there's something we could agree on this morning, church. I think we could agree that our culture tells us we should call out sin as it's convenient for us. As it's convenient for us and as we have other motives, what can I gain from their loss? And then we use, um, we use platforms like social media not to restore a fellow image bearer, but to destroy them, to destroy their jobs, to destroy their families. We're looking to rip each other apart. But as the community of faith, as a, as a missional community, we are called to live countercultural in restoration. Bearing the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit to not see a brother or a sister swept away in the fallenness of sin. Restoring with love and patience and kindness and, and gentleness. We first see this in the life of Jesus in John chapter 8. We see some men drag this woman into, a, into the temple and they, they throw her on the ground to shame her, to dishonor her with, with the ultimate intent to kill her. She was caught in an adultery. And we see this imagery of Jesus kneeling down, drawing in the sand. And as these, these guys who drug her in the temple really are condemning this woman, they start putting pressure on Jesus saying, well, what should we do with this woman who was caught in the act? What should we do with their life? They started to pressure Jesus and we see Jesus would stand up. And, and for whatever reason in, in, in my head, as I, as I imagine this, I believe, I believe he, just, he would say this just with gentleness. He stands up and he tells these guys, he says, let him who's without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. The Bible says that they would all begin to exit out of that temple. 
And then we're told that Jesus would, would kneel back down to this woman and he would ask her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? You see the gentleness? He then says, then neither do I. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Restoration. We see this in Acts chapter 18, where we're introduced to a a man who was well put together, a Jew named Apollos. He was out of evangelizing an incomplete gospel. And when Priscilla and Aquila caught wind of what what he was teaching, what he was sharing, it says that they took him aside, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Gentleness. Took him aside and, and, and helped him out a little bit. That was gentleness. And it says, then they encouraged him to keep sharing the gospel. But this time, Apollos, let's share the whole gospel. Restoration. But keep watch, church, that you don't fall into temptation. First Peter tells us that we are to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You see, we must do this with gentleness because we too could very well be in their position. No one in here is exempt from hardships or fallenness. Nobody. Loving your neighbor as yourself is being able to put yourself in their shoes. So let's do, let's do a quick exercise, kind of, kind of break it up a little bit. I just want you to look to your neighbor and ask him, you got my back? Come on, come on. Yeah, now, now look, 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 the, look to your other names, neighbor and say, hey, they got my six. You, you got my front? <laughs> I'm kidding. We must do this with gentleness. And just so you know, I just, I just want to go ahead and just say this, man. Center Church, your leaders, your deacons, your, your, your elders, and your, your pastor, none of these guys are exempt from fallenness. None of these guys, none of them, none of their families, we all fall short. So the question I pose to you is, will you throw rocks? Or will we do what verse 2 tells us to do? Which is bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In his book, Life Together, Diedrich Bonhoeffer explains bearing this way. He says, the burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. God certainly bore the burden of men in the body of Jesus Christ. He bore them as a mother carries her child. See that gentleness imagery? As a mother. As a shepherd enfolds the lamb that has been found. Restoration. He took men upon himself and they weighted him to the ground. But God remained with them and they with God. And bearing with men, God maintained a fellowship with them. And it's the law of Christ that was fulfilled in the cross. And Christians must share in this law. You see, as Christians, as we share in this law, we get to see and experience real community. We get to see real missional community. We get to see the the fruit of the Spirit visibly lived out in the context of this community, which is also known as the local church. As Bonhoeffer said, we see this in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We see this in Acts chapter 11, where the first Christians, Christians at Antioch would send relief to their brothers in Judea because of a famine. And we should see this in our, well, maybe not in our world, but at least in our churches today. First John 4 tells us, Beloved, let us love one another, 
for love is from God. Whoever, lo- excuse me, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest or clear among us that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, it says that God abides in us and his love is perfected or made whole or, or complete in us. And to anyone who thinks that he's something when he is nothing, he's just deceived himself. Church, any Christian who considers who considers himself above the responsibility to serve others in this way, he thinks too highly of himself and he's self-deceived, which are the results of spirit of the flesh. No one is too good to carry a burden for his brother or his sister. Diedrich Bonhoeffer in the same book, Life Together, he goes on to say that a Christian must bear the burden of a brother or sister. He must suffer and endure with them. And it's only when he or she is a burden that another person really is a brother or a sister and not merely an object to be manipulated. I'm going to repeat that. It's only when he or she is a burden that another person is really a brother or a sister and not merely an object to be manipulated. Have you guys ever heard of um, that, that phrase, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going? That, that's kind of the idea about, behind what, what Diedrich's saying. Only when someone has experienced that burden that, that we get to really experience that sibling. But thinking too highly is a spirit of self-righteousness and selfishness. And Jesus, who had every right to be selfish and self-righteous, he wasn't. Isaiah 53 tells us that the man of sorrows who was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus Christ on the cross could have called down legions of angels and ended it all. But he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And even just before the cross, he displays this. Our creator, he washes his creature's feet. And not only that, He even cleans the feet of Judas, who was just moments away from walking away from Jesus forever. He says in John 13, 35, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Verse four says, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. And not in his neighbor. So really what this is saying is if we would start paying attention to ourselves and and really just kind of give ourselves an honest self-evaluation. If we were to do this, we would realize we're nothing like our neighbors. In fact, we're a lot worse off than our neighbors because we truly know who we are. We know what we're capable of. We know more about ourselves than them. Tony Evans says the, the only one... Who we should compare ourselves to is Jesus. And if we do this, we'll never think more of ourselves than we should. 
And you know, a really good practical tool that would help us not think too highly of ourselves is confession. Confession to be lived out in a missional community. Confession to one another. Confessing the sin to a brother or sister, it's, it, it helps. You know, I, I think of just a, a personal story here that, that I could share with you guys is back uh, where I'm from, Abilene, originally, we were really just outside of Abilene, just west of there, and I was a, I was a youth pastor. And when we started serving in the ministry, like we didn't know very much. We didn't know much about ministry. We just knew this. We loved Jesus, and we wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. Like that, that was the goal. And, and it seemed like the more that we knew and the more that God blessed it and the more that the world thought that was success and really kind of built that into me, really that sin, is where I really began to think that I was above the responsibilities of where I first started. I began to think I was too highly to do some of those meaning, 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 meaningless little tasks. And it was there where my heart started to grow cold and just my heart started to harden. And it really wasn't until I started confessing these things to a brother or sister or my wife who was, who was really gently working to help restore me in that, that selfishness and strife that was in my heart. It wasn't until I was able to confess those things out loud that I was able to see those things. And then I was ultimately able to confess and repent to God. The only one we should compare ourselves to is Jesus. And if we do this, church, we'll never think more of ourselves than we should. Which brings us to our last verse, verse 5. Which says this, For each will have to bear his own load. For each will have to bear his own load. Now hold up. So we've just spent the last... Say 25 minutes telling us to bear each other's burdens, to show the love of Christ, to fulfill the, the law of, of, of Christ, which is also known as loving your neighbor as yourself. And now we just read in verse 5 that we're to, to bear our own load, which can seem kind of confusing. So just, just hear me out. As the household of God, as a surrogate family, we are to help and assist each other during hard times. But that doesn't mean that we have to do it all for them. In fact, in Second Thessalonians, Paul warns of the idleness and the laziness of Christianity. He says, if anyone's not willing to work, let them not eat. But from time to time, church, we all fall into hardships. And that's the beauty of missional community. We're not here just to, to celebrate each other's victories, but we're here to bear one another's burdens, which is super encouraging because we're not alone. We're not alone. You know, you just talk to your neighbor. You've got one who's got your six, one's got your 12. Maybe tap on the person in front of you to get your three and nine covered. You've got people all around you as a community of faith. All around us. But I do want to point out, I want to dig deeper into this just a little bit because I, I do want to point out really three burdens that we're not going to be able to shoulder for each other. And these burdens are really just due to the fall. They're the results of sin, which until Jesus returns, church, sin is running wild in our world today. And the first one is this. We cannot bear one another's burdens when it comes to suffering. Transgression or, or sin causes suffering. 
And suffering is to be carried alone. Now, we can, we can grieve with and for each other, but we can't bear those things. Suffering is internalized. And I think the best example that I could share that would really help us understand this is our kids. Have you ever had a kid that, that was hurt and they've just cried out and just pain? Like, what do you do? You want to rush to their side and you want to just take all that pain, all that heartache that they have. You want to take that on yourself. But we can't. That's their pain. That's their suffering to bear. It's internalized. Suffering hurts. It hurts. And, and, and it's the kind of suffering that comes with maybe finding out that a spouse hasn't been faithful. Or maybe a, a best friend has been talking about you behind your back or Maybe it's the kind of, of suffering that comes with an unexpected diagnosis, a loss of a loved one, or, or maybe you, you guys have ex- someone who, who's experienced a miscarriage. Those, those type of suffering, those are deep-seated sufferings. They just, they just fester inside of us. They, they cause us not to, to sleep at night. They cause us to stress. They cause us to overeat or over, overanalyze, numb ourselves. Maybe with, with too much TV. You see, suffering are due to the results of sin. And because we've all sinned, we all suffer. That is until Jesus returns. That's all we're taught in Matthew to pray, your kingdom come. To do away with all this sin. Who's tired of it? I know I am. The second burden we can't bear for each other is is death. Now, once again, this is the results of the fall. Like we're all promised uh, an ultimate death. Now, um, and, and and we can't take the place of a brother or sister when it comes to dying. Now, our world is full of everyday heroes. In fact, there's some of you... We might have heroes in here today. We have uh, military, we have vets, we have frontline workers, police officers, we have firefighters who heroically lay their lives down for people every single day. And, and to you guys, uh, you men and women, you families, you have sacrificed, sacrificially laid down your preferences, you have sacrificially laid down your futures and lives for others. And, and, and our hats off to you. We thank you. But the reality is, is if you've been saved from a tragic accident, or maybe you know somebody who's been saved, that doesn't exempt them from death. Maybe in that moment, but death is still coming for them, and it's still coming for all of us. Hebrews 9 tells us that, and just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for Him. Remember our prayer, your kingdom come. Because the last burden that we can't bear for one another is judgment. Which should remind us that really death isn't the end, but it's a transition into eternity. 1 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And church, we can't bear the judgment of God for anyone other than ourselves. We can't do that. 
But the gospel. But the gospel. The good news is, is that there's someone who can. The good news is that there's someone who can. He can bear all these burdens. He knows no sin. And his name is Jesus. And so maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus. Man, I would, I would just love, uh, in just a moment, I would just love for an opportunity just to share Christ with you. I would love to just even have a conversation with you, maybe pray for you or pray over you. And in fact, I would challenge you. I bet you have a neighbor there that would love to do the same, or, or I know Kyle would. Uh, so we, we would just ask this, come, come reach out to us if you don't know Christ, or maybe you're just curious to, to know more about this Savior. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're already in Christ. Let me encourage you with this. Your brother or sister may not be able to bear all these burdens for you, but they can do it with you. And praise be to God that Jesus can do both. He can do both. So church, by us restoring those who have fallen into sin, by bearing each other's burdens, and by not really thinking too highly of ourselves, we're being the salt and the light that we're called to be. And the world sees you, and our Savior sees you as well. So with that, I want to end with this. I'll ask our, uh, the worship team to, to come up. We're going we're gonna to transition now into uh, a time of, of communion. And we have the, the two tables set up right here. And I'm assuming you guys know what to do. We just line up. So what we ask is if you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ... Like we want to, we want to ask you to come be a part of of communion at the table with your brothers and sisters and with Christ. And as you take it this morning, we 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 take it knowing that the bread represents the body that was broken, as Christ bore the sins of the world on the cross of Calvary. And the juice represents the blood that was flowed over, flowed out through the through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to cover us and wash us as white as snow. Church, the, the burden's been bore, and His name is Jesus, which should call us to just adoration and gratitude and worship. I want to end with Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. You hear that? Do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'm going to ask that you stand and let's pray. Father God, we... God, we thank you. We thank you first and foremost for Jesus Christ. God, who is our mediator. God, who is interceding on our behalf. God, who bore the sin of the world. Who bore the sin of me. God, I thank you for your son... God, I thank you for your son who displayed your love for the whole world to see. And God, as, as we begin to, to transition into a, a time of just worship, Lord, I, I pray that we just be reminded that, God, if you are our father, we have brothers and sisters who fall into hardships. And as a, as a household of faith, as a missional community job, it, it's our job, God, to help and assist and to, to, to walk with each other. 
Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. And it's in your son's holy and perfect name we pray these things. Amen.